Good morning. It is so wonderful to see all of you here and to join in worship and fellowship of our God this morning. Isn't it an awesome day to, to worship the Lord? To worship Him and to seek Him and to serve Him and to thank Him and to sing His praises. I would like for you to open your Bibles this morning to Psalm 100. I'd like to echo those sentiments as we begin this morning. Psalm 100 as we begin this portion of the worship service. Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. What an awesome God we have. And I, I love that entire psalm. I love that last verse about all the beautiful attributes listed there of the Lord, our God. And yet as awesome as our God is and all of the wonderful things that he has done for his people to make us the sheep of his pasture, shedding the blood of his son for the ugly things that you and I have done, Despite all of those things, we talked this morning in the adult Bible class about how the brethren in first century Ephesus and the Lord's church there, after several decades, they lost the love they had at first or they lost their first love. Somehow it just kind of slipped away and the church there in first century Ephesus serves as an example to us of how if we're not careful if we're not careful to nurture and continually seek to strengthen, protect our relationship with the Lord God Almighty, how it is entirely possible that we can lose that initial love and zeal and enthusiasm and excitement that we had when we first realized as we come up out of that baptistry that all of our sins were washed away. As we also talked about in the adult Bible class this morning, it's sort of like when you get married and there's that, that newness and that excitement and that zeal and that enthusiasm and, and all of that sort of thing. But again, it's that type of relationship where if you're not careful to strengthen and maintain that, then that relationship can lose its excitement and all that God intended for it to be. Same is true with our relationship with God. God, knowing that, used the word remember many times in the scripture. In the New King James Version, it occurs 264 times that God said, remember, remember. Remembering back to the sacrifices that others have made on our behalf increases our appreciation as well as the preservation of those precious gifts that they have given to us often 
at the cost of their own lives. Today, for example, November the 11th, the 11th day of the 11th month, what we refer to as Veterans Day, where we remember those who have served in the military, those who have served to give us the freedoms that we enjoy today. Later on this month, we are going to celebrate, or our country is going to celebrate, and, and we will as well, what we call the Thanksgiving holiday. And families will get together and we'll gather around the table and, and we'll give thanks for all of the good things. But as we do that, we remember perhaps the pilgrims. We remember their coming to the new world. We remember that many of them lost their lives in that endeavor. But we celebrate Thanksgiving in remembrance of them. But those are, those are things we only do once a year. And I am so grateful as a Christian that I don't have to wait 364 days to come together to celebrate in remembrance of what Jesus Christ my Lord has done for me. Every first day of the week, I get to come together for the priceless opportunity to gather around with God's holy family in God's holy household around God's holy table and do this in remembrance of the price that was paid for my soul. We need to constantly remind ourselves, and it's easy sometimes to let it get lost in the flow of everyday life and everything that's going on. We need to be ever in remembrance of the fact that Jesus did that because of the sinfulness and the ugliness of some of the things that we have done, for all of the things that are ugly and awful and shameful and ungodly that we have done, we need to constantly be in remembrance of the fact, and I mean no disrespect to anybody, but this is just Bible 101. There's not one person of accountable age in this building this morning there's not one person of accountable age in any church building this morning or in the world at large who in and of themselves deserves by their own righteousness to be in the presence of a holy God. No, not one. From the first time that we sinned, we do not deserve anything but to go to hell for those sins. We certainly do not deserve to be in the presence of a pure and perfect and holy and righteous and sinless God. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter any of those things. We don't have that right. Let me, let me prove it. How many sins did it take for Adam and Eve to get thrown out of the garden? How many? One. How many sins did it take for Moses not to be able to enter the promised land? How many sins will it take to keep you and I out of the presence of a righteous and holy God forever? But here's the beauty, folks, and, and here's, the, here's the good news, here's the awesome, overwhelming news. God's righteousness and God's holiness is only equaled by his love and his mercy for his creation. Aren't you grateful this morning that's who our God is? His love and his mercy and his willingness to forgive for his fallen creation. For again, that person that you look at in the mirror every morning, 
David knew the awesome love and mercy of God. How even after we've, we've sinned and we've done some of the things we've done, God still wants us so much. And, and David knew the love and mercy of God. Look in Psalm 103. This is why David blessed and worshipped and praised God. It's why we come together this morning to worship and praise God. Psalm 103. Look what David wrote. Verses 1 through 4, David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction. That's what God does who crowns you with loving kindness, tender mercies. Look over in verses 8 through 14, David writes, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Brethren, aren't you grateful this morning? We have a God who knows the very words and thoughts before we have them, Psalm 139. We have a God who knows everywhere we've been and everything we've ever done. And that God loves us so much that he is willing, was willing, happily willing, and loved us so much that he gave his son to cover some of those things, all of those things indeed that we have done. It says here in verse 9, he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Praise God for that nor punished us according to our iniquities. He hasn't said, well, I'm sorry, guys, but you sinned once, and I can't have you here, so that's it. You're cooked. It's over. That's not who God is. For as high, for as the heavens, verse 11, are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Notice he did it. We couldn't. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers. We're just us. Finally, if we go over and look at the last few verses of this Psalm of David, it says in verse 17, the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts. Look at the next line. You ministers or servants, that's all of us. You servants of his who do his pleasure, bless the Lord all his works in all the places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. That's what we come together to do every Sunday. Out of gratitude for him who died for us. But here's the thing. As beautiful as that psalm is that David wrote, if we go through and into the New Testament and we look and we begin to explore in particular the book of Hebrews... If we look at the book of Hebrews, one of the things that we see reflected again and again throughout the book of Hebrews 
is that we've got a better sacrifice than they in the Old Testament in the sense of the sacrifices they gave. I understand that Christ's blood went back as well as forward. But we have a better system. We have a better sacrifice. We have a better everything than they had. That's, that's the message of Hebrews. And so if David wrote in Psalm 103 how awesome God was and how grateful we are for God's love and mercy, under the old law and the old covenant that really couldn't make anybody right according to the New Testament, just a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, how much more awesome should we see God under the new covenant that is so much more glorious than the old? Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. I love the book of Ephesians. You may see just how much in the weeks to come. In the book of Ephesians, I want us to see what we who are in Christ have. I want us to really think about this morning, piece by piece, what we have here. And, and notice as we go through the book of Ephesians, the word in, especially in the first two chapters. In Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes to the first century church of Christ in Ephesus, he says, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul is writing to those faithful saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus in Ephesus. And notice what he says to them. As he so often does in so many of his epistles, in verse 2 he says, Grace and peace to you. There's an acronym, probably a lot of you have heard it, for the word grace, what it means, an easy way to remember it, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. How many of you have heard that? Nobody? The preacher. Leave it to a preacher, right? Grace is God's riches. Everything that God has for us, but it costs Christ everything. God's riches at Christ's expense. There's an acronym for peace as well, P-E-A-C-E. And that is possessing eternity at Christ's expense. We have peace because Christ paid the price for us to possess eternity. And so we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says in Romans 5, 1 and 2. He says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have also, I'm sorry, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice. And that's a key word I want us to see this morning. If we understand God's grace and the peace that now exists between us and God, there used to be strife and conflict between us and God because of our sins. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. But if we understand God's grace and the fact that there's peace there now, that should make us the happiest people on the planet. He, Paul says in Romans 5, 1 and 2, knowing that grace and peace, we rejoice. We rejoice. Continuing on in Ephesians chapter 1, look at the third verse. One of my favorite verses in the entire book, in the entire New Testament. It says in verse 3 of Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and watch this, who has blessed us. Who's the us? Those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. 
He has blessed us. Notice it's past tense. He's already done it. With every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How many of you can get squared away in your mind and explain what it means to have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and explain every one of them to their fullest extent? How many? I, I don't know what that means. You say, well, you're the preacher. You're supposed to know what it means. I know what it means. I just can't explain it to its fullest. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places or mine in Christ Jesus? I don't think we're wired to understand it in those terms. I'm, I'm reminded of, and I may have told you this during the gospel meeting, but it, it's the only way that I can perceive this. We got any fishermen here? I know you do. Just not proud of it. Okay, we got any fishermen here? Maybe that's what I got. See how many hands you get when you do it that way? Once caught this fish, pulled him up onto shore. And as I took this fish off the hook, I thought, Maybe I'd ought to explain to this fish what my vehicle is sitting there behind me. Where it was made, what size engine it's got, what kind of tires it's got on it, what the torque is. You suppose that fish could have understood that? Not a chance. He wasn't wired to understand vehicle makes. He wasn't wired to understand everything about my vehicle in this world, because this isn't his world. And although I pulled him up into it, he was not wired to understand what I was talking about, brethren, when God tells us that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I don't think our minds are wired to get the fullness of that, but I am so grateful for it. The term heavenly places occurs five times in the entire New Testament, and every one of them is in the book of Ephesians. Heavenly places is a term that is unique to Paul's writing to our brethren in first century Ephesus, including that beautiful prayer that he utters later on here, or he talks about in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 22. Particularly look at verses 19 and 20. Paul is praying that we may be able to get our minds around God's awesome love and power. In verse 19, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And there are three more occurrences of that term in the book of Ephesians. As we go back to verse 4 of Ephesians 1, talks about how God chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love consider this God before he ever created the earth before the foundation of the world God knew that when he did create this world for us and when he created us with free will choice, God knew even before he created us that we were going to mess up. God knew we were going to do some ugly and ungodly things. God knew we were, was going to, we were going to sin. God knew that before the foundation of the world. And he put a plan in place. 
What would you do if you knew you were going to build something that was just going to totally come apart? You're going to put all this, you're going to put time and resources and energy into building this thing or making this thing, and you knew that once you got it made, it was going to basically implode and it was going to be a mess. What would you do? Well, I'll tell you what God did. God had a plan in place before the foundation of the world. He knew before he built the world and before he put us on this planet, he knew what we were going to do, and yet God went ahead and he put those resources in and, and he created us and he gave us that free will choice knowing that mankind was going to sin, knowing it was going to cost him his only begotten son, knowing and having that plan in place and God still went ahead with the plan that we might be, what does it say in verse 4? Holy and blameless. A God who cannot stand one sin in his presence had a plan to make me sinless. <coughs> Before Genesis 1. <coughs> Having predestined us, verse 5, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Some people in the denominational world get all worked up about this word predestined and they have this, this philosophy about how, well, before you're born, you know, God either marks you or doesn't mark you and you're saved or you're not saved and it doesn't matter what you do or what you don't do because God's already predestined. That's that's not what predestined there is talking about at all. God predestined those of us in Christ Jesus for awesome stuff. But it's still our choice whether or not we get into Christ. That makes sense to everybody. That's the, that's the simple way to put that. We hear the gospel. We are called through the gospel. And we decide whether or not we are going to be baptized into Christ. Whether or not we're going to get into Christ Jesus. But he predestined all of those in Christ for awesome things. He had a plan in place. He predestined us for adoption. He didn't predestine us and mark us. It's still our choice. But he gave us this plan whereby we could be adopted. And that was predestined before he made us. But it's still our choice whether or not we get into Christ. But boy, if we're in Christ, we are predestined for some awesome things we cannot even begin to get our mind around. That's the message of Ephesians. Chapter 1. This is all, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. It's all about God's grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. I'm here to celebrate this morning, not because I'm a preacher. Well, that's why I'm here, but I'd be in the Lord's church no matter where I was. Oh, to celebrate the fact that my sins are gone. And I got a home in heaven that I don't deserve, but God did it by His grace. What an awesome God. This grace, which He made us accepted, and notice the word in again in verse 7, in Him, only, this only applies to those who are in Christ, in Him we have redemption. He doesn't say in Him we're going to have redemption. It doesn't say in Him there's something we're going to receive. It says in Him we have, right now, this morning, just like Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If I am in Christ and I am walking in the light and I drop dead of a heart attack right in the middle of this service, there is no condemnation because I'm in Christ. And when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. And I'll tell you, that is the most precious blessing 
in the universe ever. And that's what Paul's talking about. Look in Ephesians 2. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Once we sin, we are dead in the sense that we are separated from God. That's what the word dead means. When a person dies physically, their spirit is separated from their body. There's a separation. And when we are, we are dead in sins, we are separated from God because of our sins. He says, you, you he made alive, chapter 2 and verse 1, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 2, he said, we all used to do this. Verse 3, and we're by nature children of wrath, just like the others. But God, who's rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, even when we were separated from a holy God by the ugliness of our sins, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together. Here's our phrase for the third time. In the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us. In Christ Jesus. You've got to be in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. I've heard people say before, well, you people church Christ, you believe in water salvation. No, I don't. I believe in the salvation that God promised. I am saved by grace. I don't deserve to go to heaven. But I'm saved by grace through faith. And what that means is God's salvation is a gift. It is grace. I don't deserve it. But I receive it by faith when I trust God enough to do what God said in order to receive it. If I take a $10 bill out of my wallet and I say to Eric, Eric, you can have this $10 bill if you come up here and get it. He wouldn't come after it, but still. There's a condition. It's free, but you've got to come get it. You've got to come get it where I put it. I'm not bringing it to you. But God was nice enough, loving enough, to gift wrap his son in human flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God brought the gift right down in the earth. And he said... This is how much I love you. And all this grace and mercy and everything I have to give you is in Christ Jesus. We're saved by grace. If somebody thinks that I deserve to be saved because I get in a tub of water, they're just not thinking straight. If somebody thinks that, that it's a tub of water that saves me, that somehow I deserve heaven or I merit heaven because I, I get in a tub of water and get out, that's ridiculous. saved by God's grace because I did what God told me to in getting into that water in order to receive his grace because that's where he said he put it. So we are saved by grace through faith. For we are his workmanship, verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then here's that word again, remember. Look at verse 11. Therefore remember, he's taking us back, that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ. And he concludes the verse by saying, having no hope and without God in the world. He takes you back and he says, remember who you were. You didn't have God. You didn't have any hope. Once you sinned, it was over. That's it. You're without God, without Christ, without hope. 
But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's why I'm here this morning is to celebrate that. There's so many other places that we could talk about. Let me take you to just a couple of them quickly. Look in Romans chapter 5. And I'm sure these are familiar texts. But before we conclude, I really want you to take a look at these, hopefully maybe in a little bit different light, a different intensity maybe. In Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through 24, he talks about how all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace. And by the time we get up to chapter 5, in verses 1 through 5, he talks about this beautiful gift and this grace and this rejoicing and this hope. And then he says in verse 6 of Romans 5, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. And as if that's not enough, look at the next line. If Christ died for us, and how awesome that is, much more than he takes it up another notch. He says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we'll be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we'll be saved by his life. Paul takes it up a notch, and he says, if it's even possible to conceive taking it up a notch from Christ dying for us, he says, even greater now, he died for us when we were sinners, but now that we're his children, look what we've got. And in the very next verse, what does he tell us to do because of that? Not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now, this morning, right now, we have now received the reconciliation. There's our word rejoice again in verse 11. Are you here to rejoice this morning? Are you rejoicing inside this morning? If you're not, take your earphones out. You haven't heard a word I've said. Let us take one last look here at one other apostle. Let us look at what Peter said in 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, read as follows. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, this just echoes what Paul said in the book of Ephesians, in the book of Romans, according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Brethren, I have not got a dead hope. There are a lot of people out there in that world today who've got a dead hope because their hope is in dead stuff. My hope is not dead. My hope is living. You know why my hope is living? Because my Lord is living. That's why. The grave is empty. We didn't have a funeral this morning. We rejoiced at the resurrection because the tomb is empty. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. 
Sometimes you pull up to these places and there's a sign that says reserved for thus and such, and you know only certain people to whom that belongs have access to that spot. We have an inheritance reserved in heaven for us who are kept by faith. You've got an inheritance in heaven that time can't get to, thieves cannot break in and destroy, and it's got your name on it if you're in Christ. <coughs> what an awesome God. He goes on in verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, talk about, yeah, you're going to have some troubles. Yes, you are. We all know that. We live in a fallen world. We're going to have struggles. Yep, we are. But then look what he says. He talks about your faith being tested by fire and the struggles you have. But then he says in verse 8, even though you haven't seen Christ, you love him. Though now you do not see him, Yet believing, underline this, if you write in your Bible, underline or highlight these next few words, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible. Do you know what that term means? That means you can't describe it. You're so joyful that you can't put it into words. Joy inexpressible. Because you're a believer, because you understand what Christ has done for you, because you understand what you have, in Christ Jesus. He said, you rejoice with joy inexpressible. And if you know the history of, of Peter's epistles, you know he was, re, re, I can say this, you know he was writing to people who were immersed in life and death struggles. But you know what he told them? He said, you rejoice with joy inexpressible. In Christ, the world cannot take that away from you. So I have question for you this don't close your Bibles yet I have a question for you this morning you don't have to answer me out loud answer it in your own hearts and minds are you here this morning filled with joy inexpressible <coughs> because if you're not and maybe you're not fully focused on everything you've got in Christ Jesus, everything our awesome God has provided. Are you here this morning rejoicing with joy inexpressible and full of glory? Or did you just come to church? I stopped coming to church a long time ago. I didn't come to church this morning. I never want to come to church again. Oh, did the preacher say that? Yeah, the preacher said that. I didn't come to church. I came to worship. Worship is a verb. I came to participate. I came to be active. I came to appreciate and sing and take communion. I came to do something. I didn't just come to something. I didn't come to church because I'm a part of the church. I came to worship because of what I have in Christ Jesus. And when we come to worship, we're filled with joy inexpressible. Worshiping in spirit and truth begins with understanding that once we have sinned, there's a separation between us and God and that we have absolutely no hope whatsoever in and of ourselves of ever going to heaven. Worshiping in spirit and truth means understanding that Almighty God in His great love and mercy knew I was going to sin before I ever did, and He had a plan in place before the foundation of the world to wash me of every sin and make me holy and blameless before Him. He's that awesome of a God. 
Worshiping in spirit and truth means I understand that I have an eternal, imperishable, all-powerful, living hope, which Satan, nobody on this earth can take away from me. I can give it away. I can surrender it. I can lose it. But it can't be taken. I came to worship this, no, this morning knowing that the cost of my redemption was the perfect and flawless crown jewel of heaven. And God was happy to pay that price for me, and I don't understand that. In Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 12, it says God was pleased to crush him and put him to grief, basically for me. God was happy to do that to Jesus for my sin and for your sin. God wanted to do that. How many of you would like to give up your own kids and watch them brutally murdered for some person who's serving eight consecutive life sentences? That's what God did. That's why I'm here this morning to worship. You know, final verse of the morning is right here, final few verses in 1 Peter chapter 1. You know, some of these athletes, I, I cannot begin to imagine making the type of money that they make some years ago. It was a picture that signed for my world champion. Did I say that? Boston Red Sox, being from Maine. And he signed a seven-year contract for $217 million. Now, I don't know how many of you have $217 million just kicking around somewhere. I don't know if you can even begin to imagine, but I can't. Seven years, that's $31 million a year. So that means basically every time he steps on the pitching mound, he makes around six dollars to $700,000 for around six innings work. That's pretty good work you can get, right? And we stand back and we say, how is it even possible that somebody can go out there on a pitching mound and they can make six or 700000 two-thirds of a million dollars for a few hours' work? We say, that's just crazy. That's nuts. That is absolutely dirt in the road, nothing compared to what my Savior paid for me. First Peter, chapter 1, verse 17, And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout your time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, all the money that's been paid to every professional athlete since there ever was a professional athlete, piled in some big room somewhere, cannot even begin to compare. I was not redeemed or bought back with something as flimsy and cheap and perishable as all that silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. That isn't what bought you. You're not that cheap. Your sins cost a lot more than that. But I was redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed, watch this, was foreordained before the foundation of the world. There's that phrase again, before the foundation of the world. Before God ever created the world, he knew what his people were going to do. He knew what his creation was going to do. Jesus was ready to die for them before they were ever created. He's been made known in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. 
It is this priceless gift of God's love and grace and mercy that we come to remember and celebrate and appreciate and thank God for each and every first day of the week. Lest we forget. God says, I want you to remember. Because in that remembrance is where the power is going to be to get you through everything the world's going to throw at you the next six days. God says, I want you to remember this so you don't get weak. I want you to remember this so you don't fail to appreciate it like you ought to. And I want you to remember this so you don't fall away and into despair. But you know something? Karen and I have come to the Shoto congregation. We've known of you guys for a long time. But we can't really appreciate, not fully appreciate everything that you are until we have become part of you as a congregation and we work and serve together and get to, then we can more fully appreciate what it means to be a part of this body. It's the same thing with coming to Christ. We can read about how awesome life is in Christ. We can read about all these beautiful blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. But if you are somebody here this morning who has never truly experienced receiving that grace and forgiveness the way God says you have to by repenting and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, if you've never truly experienced that forgiveness, you can read about it all day long and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But you've got to really experience it to truly appreciate what it means to be forgiven in Christ. Amen, church? If you're here this morning and you've never been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, or if you're here this morning and you need to Bible study on some of these things, maybe you need the prayers of the church. God loves you so much you cannot get your mind around it. And the church here loves you because God has shown us what real love is and we will work with you. We will help in any way that we can. We will pray for you. If you have any need this morning along